grab your Bible underneath the chair. We're going to continue our Above All series in the book of Colossians. And uh, we're going to be in Colossians 2, verses 16. So uh, I'll give you a minute to turn there. I was, uh, I was watching the cards game last night on my phone. And uh, it looked like we were just about to pull it off. We were only down by one. Holiday was up with two guys on base. And whoo, swing and a miss. He struck out. And so uh, that was the end of that. I was a little bit disappointed. I, I have to admit, when I was a young kid, I wasn't much of a baseball fan. It kind of put me to sleep. I thought, man, this game's boring. You know, it goes so slow. And the exciting parts only happen maybe once or twice a game. You know, the home runs that you want to see, they're, they're kind of few and far between. This is before the days of the greats like, uh, you know, Mark McGuire, who's smacking out a couple every game. But uh, as I've grown older, I've really started to enjoy baseball. There's, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. There's a lot of strategy involved in it. You've got, you know, batting lineup. You've got pitcher matchup. You've got, okay, when are we going to bunt? When can we get the runner to move? When are you going to bring in the closer? When are you going to bring in the bullpen? Matching up, you know, right-handed uh, pitchers and right-handed batters and all this stuff. It's, it's fascinating. And half the fun about baseball is talking about it when it's over. Right? So you get the guys around the water cooler, you start to talk, oh man, did you see last night's game and the plays? And it's, baseball is really exciting because it can go from zero to 90 miles an hour, just like that. You know, you think things are just going slow, everything's happening, and then suddenly Descalzo turns a double play and the Cardinals are out of a pinch. Or, you know, things get down to the last strike of the last out of what would be the last game. And David Freeze, the man, steps up and just sails one out and, and wins the game. Baseball can be epic. There's stories, and there's a adventure, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. But uh, another part of the fun about baseball, I think, is complaining about baseball. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's half the fun. After, after baseball, everyone's a critic. Everyone could be a better manager than Mike Matheny. Everybody's talking about, oh, I can't believe he brought in the closer then. He shouldn't have done that. If I was the manager, I would have done things this way. Or just evaluating things. Oh, it should have been like this. It should have been like that. And uh, to be honest, I've found that uh, outside of baseball, I can tend to do that with my own life sometimes. I think, man, I feel like my, my week's going really bad this week. What's, what's going on? And I start to think back through the stats of my week, the play-by-play. Oh, you know, I, I didn't get up as early as I wanted to on Monday. I didn't start the week off with a bang. Man, that's, that's why my week, that's why I feel like I'm losing this week. That's why I feel like things aren't going well. Or, oh, you know, I feel like things are going great. Well, how, how did my week go? You know, I got up extra early to read the Bible this week. Man, I feel like I'm on top of things. I feel like I'm on top of the world. We can, we all do this. I think we all tend to evaluate our lives based on our performance. That's a, it's a pretty typical thing. We live in a, in a culture, in the American culture of performance about, okay, are we, are we doing good? If we're successful, then we must have done that. How did, what did we do to make ourselves successful? Or, oh, things aren't, things aren't going so good. I didn't get that promotion at work. Oh, it's because, you know, I didn't stay late that one day. Or, oh, I, I, I failed on the test, so I, I needed to study more. Or, oh, you know, th- things are just not going well for me. The luck is not falling my way. Maybe it was because I wasn't nice to my neighbor. I didn't go out of my way to help them, so, so bad things are happening to me. We, we all do this. Even, 
with, with our kids. You think, as your kids grow up, you think, man, my kids didn't turn out how I wanted them to turn out. Man, I must have not been a good parent. I must have not taught them enough about Jesus or taken them to Sunday school enough. Things aren't playing out like I wanted to. We can evaluate things like this. We can think, okay, if it's bad, it's easy to point the finger and say, oh man, I messed up. I could have I managed things better. Just like Mike Matheny in baseball. Um, fortunately for us, this is not a new occurrence. Uh, living, considering, performance, feeling like we have to measure up. This is something that's gone on long before. In fact, one of the earliest churches, uh, this church that we've been studying in the town of Colossae, they, they, it was a very similar church to what we're going through. Very performance-driven. They're thinking, okay, we gotta, we got to do things right. We want things to go well. So we've got we've to measure up. In fact, if you, would, if you were to walk into uh, the church in Colossae, I mean, maybe you'd walk in a little bit early with your order of biscuits and gravy, like some of the guys do here. And uh, you might come in and sit down, and one of the guys from the church comes over and says, Oh, biscuits and gravy. I've been fasting this week. In fact, I've been fasting all month. I can't believe you're eating biscuits and gravy. I've been interceding for the saints in China. I've been getting caught up in the heavenlies. And you're here eating biscuits and gravy. You know, or or maybe you're into exercising, into staying fit and being healthy. And so one of the guys from Colossae might come in and say, exercising? You spend all that time at the gym? I've been reading the theologian Jonathan Edwards. It's a gym for my mind. (laughs) That is much more important than your physical fitness, you know? And they, they had all the holidays down. It was never happy holidays for them. It was always Merry Christmas, capital Christ. It wasn't Happy Easter. It was Happy Resurrection Day. They had, they had all the days and times marked out. Everything was down. And uh, that's where we're coming into the letter in Colossians. This is where we're picking up. Uh, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses, starting in verses 16. Uh, this is in page 984 in your black Bible on the left side. Colossians 2. Paul writes to these guys, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourishes. And knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the, f- of the flesh. Let's just pray for a minute before we get into this. Jesus, uh, we do. We want to learn about you this morning. We want to be open to what you have to say to us. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to you. I pray that you would uh, help my words to not just be words, God, but they'd be your life, and the things that you would have to say to us, God. Would you do that? Would you speak to us this morning? Yeah. Amen. So we, the section that we've read 
in Colossians, Paul starts off with the word therefore. And anytime you're reading in Scripture and you get to the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? Right? So we've, we've just come through the first chapter and a half of Colossians. We've been going through that in the Above All series. And Paul's laying this foundation for what it means to be alive in Jesus Christ. For what Jesus has done for us. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago on Easter Sunday. That God, we were under the weight of God's expectations on us. God has these expectations of how we needed to be and how we needed to live. And we couldn't meet those expectations, much less the expectations that we had on ourselves. We were feeling weighed down. And God, He had mercy on us. He didn't throw lightning bolts down and strike us and kill us. He said, man, I love, I love these people. I feel sorry for them. I want to help them. And so He sent Jesus. And Jesus came on the earth. He lived the life that we should have lived. And He died the death that we deserve to die. And so the old reality, the old world, how it used to work was you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. So if you obeyed God, if you followed all the rules, you got blessing and you got good things. But if you didn't obey the rules, if you didn't follow God and love him, then you got a curse. You got bad things that were to happen. And so what Jesus did, he turned everything upside down. Jesus said, okay, I came and I lived perfectly. I deserved life. I deserved blessing. But I'm, I'm taking the curse. I'm taking what you deserve, which is the curse, which is being separated from God. And Jesus said, now you who deserved curse, you who couldn't live up to God's expectations, I'm giving you what I deserved, my blessing, my brand new life. And so Jesus actually ushered in this brand new reality it's the kingdom of God. And so now, the, what the old reality was, you get what you deserve. The new reality is, we get what we don't deserve. We get what Jesus deserved. The old reality is, we disobeyed, so we should have been cursed. The new reality is, Jesus took the curse, and so we get his life. We get his freedom. We don't have to live up to the expectations. He set those expectations aside. They were nailed to the cross, and we don't, we don't have to mess with them. We're free. We're free to be God's children and to experience his love, no matter how we perform or how we live. And so that's what Paul's saying as he's coming in here uh, in Colossians 2.16. He's saying, look, therefore, because of all this, because of what Jesus has done for you, because he performed perfectly, because he took the curse for you, look, therefore, you have this freedom. You don't let anyone disqualify you anymore. If anyone comes up to you and says, look, you didn't perform this week. I, I saw you. You skipped out on small group. Mm, not good. No, Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you. It doesn't have anything to do with the things you do and don't do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has already done. That's, that's the message. That's, that's what this is all about. But it's still, it's still easy for us to disqualify ourselves, isn't it? I mean... Paul says, he says, hey, don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let your boss disqualify you. Don't let a parent or a guardian disqualify you. Don't let your siblings point the finger and disqualify you. Don't let your neighbors disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let yourself disqualify you. Don't let yourself disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. But see, it's, it's so easy to disqualified, to feel like, oh, we're not making it. We're not doing good enough. I'm not 
the good Christian that I wanted to be. And you know, that, that can go on and we start to feel weighed down. We start to feel like we're losing. And then, and then what happens when things start to get rough and you're feeling weighed down and you're feeling discouraged, you start to snap at people that are close to you. You start to get angry. I mean, not me, of course, but other people I've heard about. Don't, don't ask my wife. Don't talk to her after the sermon. Uh, right? We, we start to get angry. We start to snap. We start to lose our heads. You know? It, oh, I feel like, I feel like I'm disqualified. I feel like I'm not measured, measuring up. And so we get, we get defensive about things. We feel like, oh, I'm not good enough, so I'm just going uh, to react. It gets ugly. We lose our heads. Um, and, and actually, what Paul is saying in this scripture, he's saying that actually is the problem. You're losing your head. And so take a look in verse 19 again. He said, Paul says, not holding fast to the head. He's talking about Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together uh, through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. See, the, the whole problem with getting angry, with snapping, with feeling like you're disqualified and you're not good enough, it's not about the rules. It's not about performance. It's about you're losing your head. So the Apostle Paul, in other uh, books of the Bible, he talks about how the church is a body. Uh, he uses this analogy of a human body. And he says, hey, we're, there's lots of people that make up God's church, and we're like different parts of a body. So in your body, you have fingers, you have hands, you have feet, you have arms and legs and, and eyes and a spleen and a stomach and all kinds of weird things that we don't even know about. But they're all, they're all working together to keep your body going, to move your body around, to do the things that your body needs to do. And, uh, and the, the head that the Apostle Paul is talking about is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. We believe that here at Jubilee. It's not just something we say from the front, but the leaders are committed to following Jesus. We want to we be a church that hears the voice of Jesus and follows him. He is the head of the church. And so when we begin to disqualify ourselves, when we begin to feel weighed down by the, by the things that we feel like, oh, we're not doing good enough, the problem is it's because we're becoming disconnected from Jesus. We're becoming disconnected from the head. It'd be like uh, if in an accident I cut my hand off and my hand just fell down there and you know, maybe, I'm, I'm not a doctor, maybe the hand might be able to move for a little bit, wiggle around. I know that's kind of disgusting. Um, but it's not, not for very long, right? It's not going to make it for very long. Uh, it's not connected to the head. So it doesn't have the, uh, the nerves that send the signal to, hey, be able to shake someone's hand, be able to high five, be able to pick up my kid. The hand lying down there, it's not going to be able to do anything. It's not going to be worth a thing. Now, you might think, okay, if the hand, the hand needs to be connected. So maybe we could just take that hand and, and sew it on the side of my head, right? If the, if the problem is, hey, we're not connected to Jesus, let's just, let's just connect to Jesus. Let's just sew ourselves onto him. No, that's ridiculous, right? That's silly. We, that's not how it works. The hand, the hand is connected to the arm bone. The arm bone's connected to the shoulder. I was singing that this morning with my daughter. The, the hand has a place in the body, and it's not coming out the side of the head. It's on the arm, okay? 
And the arm is full of nerves that are connected to the brain, to the head, to the nervous system. The head is what gives purpose and direction. It's what coordinates everything that's going on in the body. We'd, we'd be dead without the head, without Jesus. This church would be nothing. We'd be dead. Jesus is what coordinates and gives life. But the hand has to be connected to the arm. And that is how the hand is connected to the head. It's through the shoulder, through the arm, and there's the hand. And then it's useful. And it receives blood and it receives information and purpose. And uh, I was just, as I was praying about this, this sermon, talking about, you know, feeling like we have to perform, feeling like we have to be, you know, legalistic, if I can use that word, legalism, trying to follow the rules, trying to be a good Christian. I've thought about my own life and uh, about how just years ago, reading, trying to get into a daily habit of reading Scripture, trying to get up early, I thought, okay, this is important. The Bible is a big deal. I want to get up early and read this. And so uh, I, I tried to do that. I got myself a Bible reading plan. I started, and, you know, things were going great in Genesis. Exodus is really exciting. Uh, Leviticus, ooh, this is getting weird. There's all these rules and genealogies and long names and Deuteronomy and okay. And then I'd stay up too late and I'd miss a couple days and man, now I'm starting to feel bummed out. And a week goes by and you look at that checklist and oh man, I'm getting behind. And I think, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to do better. I can do this. I'm going to, I'm going to get myself together and do this. So I'm going to double down. I'm going to get up an extra 30 minutes early to like read two days worth of Bible and I'm going to do it. And so I tried that for a little bit and Man, you know, 5.30 comes early and slamming the coffee and you, you read a page and then you look at the page and think, did I just read that page? Did I finish it? What's going on here? I don't remember any of that. And so then you got to go back and read the whole thing. And so then eventually I thought, you know what? I don't have the right heart towards this. I don't, I'm not actually cherishing God's word. I'm just doing it to check off a box. So I'm just not going to do it. This isn't worth it. And uh, as, I was, as I was thinking about just my struggle in this, I think, you know, this is, how we, this is how we approach when we feel like we need to perform. These are kind of the two things that we go about doing to try to fix the problem. So we either first, we try to perform harder. So when we see that things aren't going good, oh man, my week hasn't been good. Okay, I'm going to do better. This week wasn't good. Next week's going to be better. I'm going to start Monday off right. I'm going to get up early and exercise. I'm going to pray extra early. Things are going to go better. I'm going to make things better. And, you know, maybe if you're, if you're a very dedicated person, maybe that lasts for a little bit. Um, maybe, maybe not so much. Maybe a weekend and you think, man, this isn't worth it. So we either try harder or, number two, we realize, oh, this isn't worth it. I'm just, I'm just in it for the wrong reasons and we give up. And that's, that's kind of how I felt like for a lot of my life, I've responded to legalism. I've either tried harder or just given up. And when you give up, you end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because I think we would all agree if we took a straw poll that the Bible is important, that it's, that it's an important book, that it has things in there that we need to listen to. But if you're, if you're just going through the motions to check off the boxes, then then what, what's it about? But the actual, the way to get through a performance mentality isn't to try to perform harder, and it isn't to give up on performing at all. It actually has nothing to do with the actions itself. It has everything to do with the heart. 
And the only way that we can get through this as individuals and as a church, the only way that we can get past trying to perform and feeling stable and solid in the love of Jesus is to be connected to the body. That's, that's what it's all about. It's about being connected in community. And maybe you're thinking, man, is this another sermon on community? I feel like that's all we've been talking about here. Yes, this is another sermon on community. That's what we're going to continue to talk about because it's, it's what Paul's talking about. It's not, I used to think getting through legalism was just, you had to understand. You just have to know that God loves you. It's okay. Just know that he loves you no matter what and you'll be okay. And it is important for us to know that God loves us. Don't hear me saying it's not important to know that. You must know that God loves you no matter what you do. But the way that we get through the feeling of trying to perform isn't head knowledge. It's experiencing love and grace firsthand from the people on your right and on your left. I think the, the times that I have experienced God's grace the most have been through people closest to me, like Shannon like Brian Mowry, the teaching pastor of Jubilee, by Josiah, by Jonah, by guys here that are, that are showing me love, that are showing me grace. It's, it's when I mess up and when I go to my friend and say, man, I blew it again. I thought I was thinking things were going to be different in my life. I thought it wasn't going to be like this. And they, and they don't laugh at me and they don't say, yeah, you really stink at this life thing. You know, they just listen. They're just there for you. They say, man, I'm going to pray for you this week. That, that is how we experience God's love and grace. And it has to be experienced. And, and don't, don't hear me saying that it's not important to know that God loves us. We must know it in our heads. But we have to experience it in our lives. We have to experience the love and grace that comes in being in open and honest community. Or else we're just going to slip back into performance. Because that's what happens. That's what Paul is saying. If you're disconnected from community, if you're disconnected from the body, you're just going to feel like you have to perform. You're going to feel like you have to do better yourself. You're going to feel like you're all alone. And that actually, being alone, that is the whole problem. That's the root of the problem. Because when, when we feel like we're not performing, you start to, you start to get upset with yourself. You start to get mad, you start to lose your head, you start to get frustrated and snap at people around you, and you start to withdraw. So I don't, I don't want Shannon to know that I feel like I've, I've failed as a husband, so I'm, I'm just going to avoid it. I'm just not going to talk about it. There's going to be this separation that builds. I don't, I don't want my friend to know that I'm not really pursuing God and loving him, so we're just not going to talk about it. There's a separation. You start to feel alone. You feel like you're all by yourself. And on the flip side, if you feel like, man, I'm doing great on this life thing. I've got it all together. I, I've gotten up early to read my Bible for years. And I can't believe all you people can't get yourselves together. You think, man, the pastor can't even get up and early and read his Bible. I'm going to a different church. You know, when you start to feel like that, like you can perform, then you start to look at other people who can't perform and you start to judge them. And you see them and you think, man, I can't believe you can't do that. I can do it. What kind of person are you? You're no good. And there's separation and there's isolation. And, and you start to separate yourself from other people. And other people start to separate themselves from you because they don't want to be judged. They don't like being around people who are always pointing the finger. 
So you're separated. You get separated from the body. That is the root. That is the whole problem with legalism. It's not just that, oh yeah, it's not about rules. It's different than that. And we can do whatever we want because Jesus has forgiven us. No, it's about unity. It's about us being together and not being alone and not being isolated. It's about us being a family, about us being a body and on the mission that God has for us. See, a body without, if I didn't have a leg, I could probably, you know, I could make do. I could get some crutches. I could get a motorized chair. I could, I could still, you know, get by a little bit. If I, if I didn't have an arm, things would be difficult. If it was my right arm, I'd have to learn to write with my left arm. If I didn't have two eyes, things would be really tough. I wouldn't be able to live the way that I need to live. I wouldn't be able to take care of my wife and my family. The church is the same, w- <clears throat> the same way. If, we're, if we start to get disconnected, if we start feeling like, oh, we have to perform and we isolate ourselves from each other, we're not going to be able to do the mission, the things that God's put in front of us to do. We're not going to be able to love the city of Lake of the Ozarks like we need to love them. Because we need, we need the feet, we need the hands, we need people to help us move outside these doors, people to bring their neighbors, people to love in their workplaces and love in their community. That's what this church is all about. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, don't lose your head. Not just physically, not just, you know, when you lose your head, when you get angry, it's not just about getting angry. It's about being united as God's people. We want, to, we want to be together in the mission that God's called us to do. And the only way we can do that is if we stay connected. It's if we stay united in the things that God has for us. So it's, it, can be, it can be scary sometimes. You think, okay, if, I, if it's not about performing, that means I've got to open up to someone. That means I've got to tell them, how things are really going on. That's really scary. That, especially, especially for us guys, when, you know, grabbing a beer and watching a ball game is our, our idea of a good conversation, right? Opening up about life is hard, and it's scary. Oh, what if, what if they don't understand? What if they think badly of me? What if they talk behind my back about me? It takes a risk. And, and I'm not saying we, you know, blab all our secrets on the street corner. But this is, this is why community groups here at Jubilee, while, why they're so important. It's not just because, oh, you know, people are bored during the week and we like bean dips, so we're just going to get together and high five. And that's what churches do, right? They get together on Sundays and Wednesdays. No, it's because we, we need each other. Else we're going to get isolated. We're going to feel like we're not measuring up and like we have to do better. We need each other to, to be encouraging each other, to be loving each other. So if you, if you haven't gotten a part of a community group, get a part of a community group. Find, find someone in the community group this week who you can talk to, really, honestly. Maybe after the meeting's over, just grab them aside and say, hey, this is, this is how I'm really doing. This stuff's hard. I just need... I need to experience God's love. I need you next to me. That's, that's what this is all about. It's about being connected to Jesus, and the way we do that is through community. Why don't you get out your communication card and uh, turn that to the back. We'll have the band come up here.
Just imagine for a minute with me. What would it look like if we were to all, if we never felt like we had to perform again? If you, if you never looked back at your life and thought, man, I didn't do good enough. That feeling of being a failure, what if that was just completely gone? Regardless of what you've done in the good times and the bad times, when things are good, when things are not so good, what if, what if that feeling was just eradicated? You never felt like you had to perform. What would that... What would that do to your relationships? How would your, how would your family dynamic change? How would your, what would your kids, how would your kids relate to you? How would, how would your spouse be? How would your coworkers react to you? What kind of what impact would that have on our city? Think about Lake of the Ozarks. What if Lake of the Ozarks was transformed and, and people didn't feel like they had to put, up, put on a show to look good? What if people didn't feel like they had to look the part? Oh, I've got I've to be this way. You know, I'm a, I'm a business owner. I have to, things always have to be, look like they're going good. What if, what if it never had to be like that? What if, what if we lived in a community where we could be honest with our friends and not have to be afraid that other friends would find out and start talking behind our backs. What if that fear didn't exist? What if this, what if this was a safe place? That's, that's what Jesus wants for us. That's what, that's what Jesus wants for Lake of the Ozarks. It's, it's a beautiful thing. The safety of grace, of knowing that you're accepted. Doesn't matter if you've got it all together this week. You're accepted. You're loved. You're, you're okay here. We're glad you're here. That's, that's what we want Jubilee to be about. And I'm, I'm, I won't pretend that I'm perfect. I won't pretend that any of us are perfect. That's why there's forgiveness. But that's Jesus wants to grow us into this deeper community, deeper honesty, deeper openness. And, and as that grows, there'll be trust will be built. Security will be built. People who feel like they're not safe can come here and feel safe. People who feel like they're rejected can come here and find, hey, I'm not, I'm not rejected. You guys, you guys welcome me. Other people don't do that. That's what the kingdom of God's all about. We used to have to perform, and then we could be blessed. Now we're blessed. We're blessed because Jesus performed. That's what this is all about. And it, it doesn't, it takes time to build this kind of, these kind of relationships, to open ourselves up to what God's doing in our community.